0: Welcome into this edition of the KYR Podcast. I'm Paul Del Rio, Communications Director, and we've got a lot of folks online and a lot to talk about today. Uh, We've got Richard Wilson, KYR Government Affairs Director with us. Uh, Also joining us is Amy Wycliffe. She is our contracted lobbyist through McCarthy Strategic Solutions, and she's our boots on the ground as we advocate for our members and Kentucky property owners. Also here to my left is Mike Inman, KYR President-Elect, and our Quick Response Team Chairperson. Uh, joining us via Zoom uh, also is Angie Klein. She is our Government Affairs Committee Chair, and we've got a lot to talk about. I'm going to turn it over to our Government Affairs Director, Richard Wilson.
1: Paul, thank you for the intro. Um, we're going to get started this morning with uh, with Amy Wickliffe. Many of you are familiar with Amy. If you're not, if you're not familiar with Amy, uh, you should be. Uh, she she is our uh, she's our head honcho in, in Frankfurt during session and uh, keeps us in line when we're out of session as well. So um, with that, Amy, can you kind of talk to us a little bit about um, the 2021 legislative session and and, uh, what all went on?
2: First of all, thank you all for having me. It's always great to recap and um, look forward when we can do all these things in person again, which I think we'll be able to do that very soon, hopefully. Um, Talking about the 2021 session, you know, all sessions are unique with their challenges, with their priorities, and the 2021 session um, did not disappoint. Um, If you think back to um, January, you know, COVID was still very real. Um, our numbers were, were, pretty, were still pretty high in Kentucky. Vaccines were just starting to roll out to um, higher risk populations. They were not as widely available as they are today. And so with that, um, there was a health and a safety decision that was made by the legislature to um, kind of close the Capitol and annex to, public, uh, to the public. You could attend a meeting if you were pre-approved, um, but had to go strictly to where you were, your meeting was and, and leave the annex or the Capitol at that point in time. So it made our ability for in-person interaction like we are used to during a legislative session, very difficult. Um, if you think back, you know, your typical Hill days when we host hundreds of realtors at the Capitol to meet with their legislators and have their voices heard, you know, we weren't able to do that. We had to be creative. Um, and kudos to your team for being creative having you know the virtual hill days that you did I think we were able to to see a lot of legislators and they appreciated your your continued interaction but it also meant that we had to call upon a lot of your members I want to give a shout out to the QRT as well as all the members of the Government Affairs Committee and all of your general membership, you know, not being able to be there in person meant that we had to call upon you all to make your voices heard and to contact your legislators at various times on uncertain bills that we were lobbying for or against. So thank you to everybody for that. When I look back at this session, I couch it as a kind of a budget session alongside a what did we learn from COVID session. Um, The legislature had to come back and do um, another one year budget to finish out the biennium. And then about mid session, we also learned that Kentucky was going to be the recipient of about $2 billion worth of federal funds that came from the American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA funds is what you'll hear those referred to as. So the good news is, is that the governor and the general assembly came to an an agreement on how to appropriate about half so they appropriated just about 1 billion of the 2 billion that we were set to receive so that those funds could be put to good use as soon as Kentucky came to receive those funds, which I think we just received the first half here, here recently. Large in part, those funds went to broadband expansion, which I know is important to to our association, also went to um, infrastructure projects. So if you think about drinking water and wastewater projects, which are also very important to um, our members from across the state, Also, um, when you look at the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, which we heard a lot about the unemployment insurance system and and, and challenges that that system had during COVID, as as many people were laid off and had problems finding access to work as, as businesses were forced to close down for a certain period of time, the um, part of the funds, just about $575 million of the ARPA funds, went to replenish that unemployment insurance trust fund. That was done to mitigate the risk and the tax burden that was set to take, take place um, and be put on the backs of businesses. So that was, that was some good news as well. The other things that were that, that got a lot of discussion this session, Senate Bill 5 is was led by the Senate President, also helped out with the Speaker of the House when it got down to the House. This was a bill that we called the COVID legal liability bill. And if you think back, all of you, you know, were entering businesses, you run businesses yourself, and you have you still had members of the public that you were interacting with, and you were doing your best to follow the CDC guidelines, follow the state guidelines. Guidelines were changing. You would see one set in the morning and could be changed by by the evening and it's because we were learning as we went um you know it's not that often that we find ourselves in a worldwide pandemic and are forced to try to adapt and figure out how to continue business as as normal as possible but also keep them keeping at top of mind the health and safety of, of members of the public and yourself and your family So what the legal liability bill does is it doesn't protect bad actors, it protects those businesses who were changing the way that they did business Um, but following the guidelines, making their good faith efforts um, to to do the right thing. So that bill um, was a big win for businesses. Several business organizations came together to make sure that that ended up passing. Um, Infrastructure funding is another hot topic. Uh, It is on the federal level as well. Um, This is a bill that did not get um, across the goal line, this legislative session. And I expect that to come up in in future sessions as our needs um, for more revenue um, for our roads and our bridges, also our public transit our river ports and our airports continues to be a great need so that is something that's kind of left on the table that I think we will start to hear more about and just yesterday June 1st we kicked off the um, interim session so um, no rest for the weary we are already starting to plan for the 2022 session and we've got a lot on our plate and I know you'll hear from Mike and Angie about some of those things that we'll be working on this summer so thanks
1: you briefly touched on it a little bit As far as um, lobbying efforts during a a very weird session, Um, how has how did COVID in in this this session change the way you lobby?
2: So we did a lot of zooms. We lobbied a lot like this, um, facetimes, text. Um, you had to be very targeted in your outreach to legislators because they, if you can think about, you know, we were trying to reach them all of those different ways, all of their constituents and multiple other organizations were as well. So it was very important that we, when I talk about advocacy with the Kentucky Realtors, we always talk about how we speak with one voice and one message, and that was extremely important this session. It was, it was very important for all of us, no matter who was reaching out to their legislator, to make sure that we were very pointed and and very consistent in what we were talking to legislators about. And and again, kudos to your members for doing that because, I think it it really helped. Um, because we couldn't be there every day um, to correct an inaccuracy or to, to figure out what was going on. So um, making sure that it, being creative in our outreach, um, you know, trying to make sure that we were able to see some legislators as much as we could. But large in part, it was um, definitely different. Um, but, you know, I think we made it through. We hopefully don't have to do that again. Yeah.
1: Right. Yes, absolutely. Uh i guess that kind of brings up another question uh in our spc program our, our state political coordinator program um not every association or, or organization like ours has a setup like that can you kind of speak to the importance of spcs
2: oh it is one of the most important things that you all have and, and i talk about your all's program to others because it, it's it, to me it, it's it's a model um, because the, the important thing is is that legislators care about their constituents. They care about their voters. And at the end of the day, that constituent is what matters to them and their opinions and, and their insight on issues. And so developing the relationships between somebody back home in district with that individual legislator is priceless. I mean, it is your number one advocacy tool. And so I cannot stress enough the importance of that SPC program. And and I will also, for any SPCs that are listening today, remember not just to touch base with your legislator when you're asking them to vote for a bill or to vote against a bill. It's a long-term invested relationship that you have with your SPC. And so keep that up. You know, the goal really is for you to become friends with that legislator. That's how much time you should be investing with that legislator so that that trust factor is always there. And the end goal is that when that legislator sees a bill that deals with real estate or somebody says, oh, I wonder what the realtors think about that, that that legislator picks up the phone or text and calls your SPC. That is the end goal for for a productive and a successful advocacy program there.
0: So what you're saying is don't just go to them when you need something.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I always say, what if your kids just came to you when you, they needed $20, you know, but they never came around and gave you a hug every now and then and told you how great dinner was. And, you know, you, you've got to make sure that you, you put some time in to develop the relationship.
1: Uh, Amy is Steve. And I just would say um, the, the one thing that, Covid did as we had to operate the way we operated. Was it also exposed a few deficiencies and some uh, problems uh, that we uncovered? You know, as it relates to this industry too. You know, and the fact that you know, you know, our our members and and others that are related to real estate needed to you know get access to documents and to you know information that are so important to the transaction. And, uh, you know, I think it put us on a track of really looking at how can we better our state and our local governments uh, in terms of equipping them to, to be prepared in case something like this happens or even doesn't happen, but just helps us be better and more efficient. So I know you address that issue as we have with, with legislators.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think Mike and Angie are going to talk about that a little more. But Um, That that issue specifically will be studied during this interim. I think what somebody said the best when COVID showed us where we're most vulnerable. Right. Um, It highlighted what we need to be looking out for that we've never had to have. We've never dealt with before how important um, modernization and having things online and really adapting to technology and embracing technology. it, nothing showed that more than being stuck at home, trying to do business, probably trying to sell a home <laughs> um, and, and get all your forms filled out and signed. You know, nothing showcased that more than than being at home during COVID. So we the lessons that we learned from COVID are never ending. I'm sure we're still going to continue. And I think that means also our practices and our processes will some of those will change for, for good. You know, and it's because we found more ways to be and better ways to be efficient in our business.
1: So, uh, Amy, thank you so much. We are now going to turn to our president-elect, Mike Enman. Uh, Mike, talk to us a little bit about QRT. I know we were uh, extremely busy this session. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of bills to go through. Can you kind of take us through our process and, and what all sure. we uh, kind of went through this session?
3: Sure. So I, I want to start out, and I want to give a, a shout out to Amy and McCarthy Strategic Solutions because uh, they uh, they make this possible. To be honest with you, it, it, this is a very difficult process, and uh, if without their help in in Frankfurt, this would uh, would be almost impossible. I also want to give a shout out to uh, Steve and Richard and Megan and uh, and the uh, KYR staff for the way that they support this committee. Um, I think. I've served on a lot of committees, but there's very few committees that are as hands-on as this one is, and being able to get the information to us in a timely manner and us have time to digest it before we actually meet and decide on things uh, takes a lot of background work, and we really appreciate the effort that the staff put into that. So, uh, like I said, QRT is is very much a working committee. We have a lot of bills that we have to read. Uh, even more bills that we, we scan and try to watch to, to see what the key points are about them. And, and Amy and uh, the McCarthy group help us with that a lot. But we ended up uh, the session by supporting 13 bills, opposing two bills, and monitoring 75 pieces of legislation. If you just stop and think about the average length of a bill, how much uh, effort goes into that. So of the 13 bills that we supported, only six of them made it through both chambers. And those were House Bill 172, 207, Senate Bill 10 and 11 and 100 and Senate Bill 125. And then we also had a resolution that was adopted by the Senate that honors Jeff Smith for his many years of service to NKAR and we congratulate Jeff for that. So just to run over some of the the major points of the legislation that was passed, House Bill 172 had to do with uh, some reorganization of the uh, real estate appraiser board It uh, changes the uh, qualifications to serve on that board and establishes some procedures for it and fees. Uh, House Bill 207 was a bill that would prohibit a local government entity from uh, taking any sort of legislative action that would impair a consumer's choice on what utility services they might use. In some states, this is becoming an issue where uh, municipalities are restricting the use of certain types of fuel in homes, uh, for example. And uh, Senate Bill 10 established a commission on race and access to opportunity. Uh, Senate Bill 11 was uh, sponsored by Chairman uh, John Schickel, and it uh, was supported by the Kentucky Apartment Association, and it was a bill that was very important to us. It, it uh, strengthened the laws pertaining to rental property tenants who purposely damage uh, residential rental property. Where, if, if someone was moving out, maybe they were evicted or whatever, and they did damage to the property, uh, it was very difficult to get anyone to pursue criminal charges against them. And this, this bill put some teeth into that. Uh, Governor Bashir vetoed this bill as he had in the previous session, but then the legislature was able to override the bill and it became law. A Senate bill, and there's actually several Senate bill House bills that went together to form up House Bill 321, which was ultimately passed. But this was a bipartisan uh, bill that would offer investment and economic opportunity in uh, Louisville's West End neighborhoods of Parkland, Shawnee, Park Duval, Russell, Portland, California, Chickasaw, Park Hill, and Algonquin. Uh, The big thing about it was it's designed to attract investment to prevent displacement of current residents due to increasing home values, to create a tax uh, increment financing program and development for the area, and to create a board to oversee investment opportunities. Uh, Very important piece of legislation, I think, for that part of of Louisville. Some bills that didn't make it, um, House Bill 151 and SB 243, and this is what Steve was kind of alluding to and, and Amy earlier, uh, this bill would rec- require the county clerk's offices to be open for reviewing and obtain copies of re- recorded instruments for 40 hours a week unless they maintain a portal on the Internet that will allow public access. Now, this has been a key piece of legislation for us for several years at KYR. The COVID came along and kind of showed that uh, it, it's a very important piece of legislation. And this is something that we're going to work on during the interim Uh, with government affairs as we go forward. Amy's going to pick that up for us. Uh, House Bill 561 would bring uh, transportation funding to maintain and build roads across the state. Uh, Unfortunately, that uh, didn't make it through, but uh, that will be a continuing issue, I think, over the next couple of uh, legislative sessions. There's also House Bill 570 was a Kentucky Emergency Rental Assistance Fund. Um, This was if, if the state declared an emergency that lasts longer than 30 days, and includes a, a, uh, a hold on evictions, there would be money put into this assistance fund that would come from the budget reserve trust fund to help uh, landlords. Uh, SB 264 would for, prohibit a government entity from imposing restrictions, uh, other restrictions on evictions or foreclosure for non-payment of rent during a state of emergency. Um, we and I'm, I'm not going to go into every bit of this uh, legislation, but we passed on to, uh, to the Government Affairs Committee a letter here detailing out the, the things that we had done in QRT. QRT meets only during the legislative sessions, and when the session is over, QRT kind of dissolves and, and our function rolls over to Government Affairs, which uh, sets up subcommittees, which Amy has done. And I'm going to, at this point, stop and let us turn that over to Amy and let her talk about that a little bit. <coughs>
1: Well, you turn it over to to Angie, uh, but I've got a sorry, que- I've got a question for you though. Um, going back to Senate Bill 11, mm. uh, I, I know the QRT has voted to support uh, this bill the past two sessions, and and has deemed this a, a pretty important bill for our association. Can you kind of talk a little bit about why Senate Bill 11 and, and the damage to rental property bill is important to to realtors and uh, property owners and property managers?
3: Well, I think. Uh, a significant portion, I know, a significant portion of our membership owns rental property, and we represent the interest of property owners, whether, whether they're members of the uh, association or not, and the, the problem we were having is that you would have tenants who willfully damage property. Uh, I, I used to own quite a bit of rental property myself, and we would have uh, tenants who would take cabinets, uh, appliances, take, uh, uh, actually remove light fixtures and take them when they left, or in some cases, just just kick holes in the walls. And um, there just was, while there are criminal mischief bill uh, or statutes, Mm -hmm. uh, they were not strong enough to enforce uh, to do this. Most of the time, law enforcement would simply say that, well, you evicted them, so so be it. And uh, these damages to the properties were costing landlords, you know, literally thousands of dollars. In one case for us, it was over $6,000. So uh, th- this was a pretty important bill, I think, to our membership across the state, and to people who own property, whether they are a realtor or not.
1: Gotcha. And a- Amy, uh, the bills that that passed this session, those go into effect later this month, and that is June twenty third, twenty ninth. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, so that all these pieces of legislation uh, that that did pass uh, during during the 2021 legislative session go into effect June 29th. Um, Mike, one more question for you, and it's dealing with the county clerk's um, uh, bill or piece of legislation that that we supported, uh, but ultimately did ultimately did not pass. Uh, it is now in the hands of the. Uh, county clerk modernization task force in the legislature um, that is made up of of just legislators uh, however I, I expect the I expect uh, KYR to be in front of that task force sometime this summer. Um, can you kind of talk to us a little bit about the importance of uh, online portals for realtors during a transaction?
3: So so the ongoing history of this is that many of us work in cross-county discipline so we're having to travel uh you know to find documents and and to be able to properly inform whether it's a buyer or a seller about the legal status of their property before they they purchase it uh, we cannot list a property without knowing for sure who owns that property and it's it's very difficult uh there's one county in in the region around here that has absolutely irregular hours as to when they're open just in the best of conditions. Uh, you know, you drive for an hour to get there and find out that they're, uh, they're not open. So that's been an ongoing problem. Um, it, it makes no sense to have to go to a clerk's office and sit down at a computer terminal and access the internet in their office and look at these documents that are already online and, but not be able to do that from your office or, or, or home. And uh, so when when COVID happened and we actually shut down government and we had uh, buyers who were under contract to purchase a house that had, in many cases, a date that said time is of the essence that it's got to close by that date. And, And here we are, we've we've shut everything down and we don't have access to that. If it was impossible, if there was no way to do it. Then you say, okay, well, we'll we'll deal with it. But it is so simple to solve this problem because it's all this information is already in most counties, already digitized, and in those it's not digitized, in it should be. And so this was a a bill that maybe we were before our time in that we've pushed it for the last several years. But if there was ever a time to realize that how important it is, it's in 2020. And this, this affects us economically in Kentucky because it, it has put us behind other states. You can go to pretty much any other state in the, in the union, and from here in Kentucky, you can access their public records online, but you can't do that in Kentucky. And if someone is looking to, to relocate a business or relocate their family to Kentucky, they cannot get access to the information that they need to make smart decisions before they move here. So this is this is a piece of legislation that it, its time is now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A- Amy, can we just take that recording from Mike and send it over to the, uh, <laughs> the county clerk task force?
2: Absolutely. I think that would be a great just intro, it's kind of set the stage and do a level set on, on what that task force is going to look like. I will say, I think we owe a big thank you to, to the legislative leadership for realizing that this is an important enough topic to establish a special committee to just focus on, on, on these issues. So I look forward to following and working with those legislators. Um, and, and as Richard said, there will be plenty of opportunity for our members to engage with those legislators about how important this topic is this summer. Yes.
3: Absolutely. And I believe we do have a couple of members that are going to be on the task force, right? Well, <clears throat> so.
1: It's so the task force is, is only going to be made up of uh, members of the legislature. Um, a- 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 Amy, do you want to, kind of answer that?
2: Yeah, so they made a decision since this this particular task force is likely going to be voting on policy and setting policies that will be considered in a future session think they found it better suited to just allow legislators to be on there and then allow the opportunity for all of the various stakeholders to engage directly, testify, join, and in, in, in have those conversations with legislators. So they've done that in previous years with other um, task forces that were more um, policy-based um, that were gearing toward
1: policy recommendations.
3: Well, we look forward to uh, appearing before them and testifying on that.
1: Angie, uh, you are up uh angie is our uh 2021 government affairs chair um and and, uh, she is kind of leading our efforts uh during the interim and for the rest of the year uh angie can you kind of talk to us a little bit about government affairs committee
4: absolutely um i just want to reiterate what mike had to say about all of the support that we get from uh kyr i mean richard you keep us on track and and you send out great information and, you know, Megan, she is a great force. And so is Steve. And then Amy, I don't know what in the world we would do without you. I mean, you just have a great knowledge base. And so I just wanted to thank you guys and tell you how much we appreciate you. Um, on Wednesday, um, last Wednesday, actually, um, May 26, um, the governmental Affairs Committee met and we started off with um, our NAR political representative called Drew Myers. And um, a lot of people are really familiar with Drew. He attends a lot of our meetings. And he came and gave us an update on what's going on at the national level. One of the things that he spoke about that I found very interesting was um, the 1031 exchange and that um, NAR is opening it up to um, people to send in testimonials. They want um, to hear from us. So if anybody out there um, has a great story for 1031 exchange, and would like to do a testimonial, reach out to Richard and he will hook you up with Drew. And then um, after Drew, we had Amy Wycliffe with uh, McCarthy Strategic Solutions to give us a recap of our interim, um, of what happened in the session and maybe what we might be able to expect in the interim, which she talked about began yesterday and will run through December the 1st. She always has great insight as she has her ear to the ground and her boots on the ground to be able to work on our behalf. So, Amy, I just want to thank you again. Um, We had a great, robust um, conversation with um, Jim DeMeo and Kathy Corbett on the advertising regs. Um, They had a scenario kind of laid out for us and um, good, good information. So that sparked a big conversation. Um, as the as Mike talked about, the QRT, they have passed on items to Government Affairs uh, that we will be working on during the interim, and we developed nine subcommittees. Um, we just felt like that there is so much information that it's important to involve all of our committee members on QRT and um, have input. There's just um, too much information to take it all in, and this will allow us to have the subcommittees and to be an expert on um, those topics. And, um, you know, we've got from tip to tip in Kentucky. I mean, it covers a vast area. We have rural areas, we have larger cities and they all function in different ways and they have different issues. So to be able to have people from across the state to be able to give their input, it's really, really important. The subcommittees that we set up are the uh, county clerk legislation, PVA legislation, heirs property legislation, wholesaling real estate, HOA legislation, tax reform and sales on services, transportation and infrastructure, the Landlord Tenant Act, and the advertising reg. So with those, um, we had um, representatives of the QRT team that will chair each of those subcommittees, and they will meet and they will report back and um, give us the valuable input that we need to be able to make good decisions moving forward. Just in case you're not aware, we will be having our next Government Affairs um, Committee meeting on Wednesday, June the 16th at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, and um We'll we'll put together a great committee meeting for that day. So I look forward to it.
1: Yes. So that the next meeting, that June 16th meeting, uh, is taking the place of um, our regularly would be regularly scheduled summer retreat government affairs committee. Um, So the government affairs committee will not be meeting at summer retreat. They will be meeting on June 16th. uh, So so obviously prior to the K.Y.R. summer retreat. Angie, uh, one, one question for you, or I guess possibly a couple of questions for you. For, forming these subcommittees it's, it's uh, I guess, doing things a little bit different uh, for Government Affairs Committee, um, but in a good way. Uh, I, I think divvying up uh, these issues for the Government Affairs Committee members is important. Can you kind of speak to, to why we did that?
4: Well, I just think that, um, you know, there is so much information and it is hard for us to sift through um, every bit of those details as Mike spoke to. I mean, you know, it gets lengthy and um, there's lots of information that's thrown at you. And so to be able to really and truly dig deep and get the information that we need, um, I just think it's really important to have those focus groups. To be able to get that information and bring back all of the details that they can possibly bring back, so that we know how to to just kind of attack attack and and make good decisions.
1: And w- I guess one of the one of these subcommittees, or I guess two of the subcommittees, are, that immediately draw my attention is one is of course the county clerk task force and how important that is to us. Uh, but the other is wholesaling. That is that is kind of a new new ish. Um, I guess topic or uh, potential piece of legislation for our members, and, and especially for me and, and Amy, uh, who are obviously non-realtors, uh, but dealing with wholesaling. Mike, and you can probably elaborate on this as well, uh, since it's a, a kind of a hot topic here in Lexington. But Angie and Mike, can you kind of talk to us about wholesaling and and why that particular issue uh, should be important to us?
4: Yeah, I know that Mike um, and the group in Lexington are seeing that much more than we are here in Bowling Green. However, I have been following um, uh, some other states around the nation, and I do know that um, Oklahoma, they just passed a law that um, anybody that does wholesaling, um, since they're practicing real estate without a license, that they are now going to start requiring them to have education, the same amount of education hours. Um, as an active real estate agent, so that they have the knowledge base and can represent the consumer uh, better. Mike, I'm sure you've got um, some things to add on that, and maybe even an own personal story that you can talk about.
3: Yeah. So uh, let me back up and just explain what wholesaling is. We probably have some people who don't understand the concept, but you can actually uh, enter into a contract to purchase a property. And in the course of that contract, decide that you're not gonna buy it, but someone else wants to purchase it. So you can assign that contract to someone else. And that happens not not often, but it does happen sometimes. What wholesaling is, is someone who actually is making a business of doing that. So you go to someone who, for whatever reason, you may just knock on the door and ask them if they're willing to sell. And it might be someone who's not aware at all of what's going on in the market and you give them no advice as to what their property is worth. You simply make an offer to them, and they enter into a contract with you, and then they turn around, and they actually advertise and market that contract for sale. So they're not actually selling the property, but they're selling the contract to purchase the property. So they sell that at a profit uh, to themselves. The Whoever buys the contract pays them a, a fee, and these fees can be pretty pretty uh, lucrative. Uh, so they pay them a fee, and that person actually closes on the property. Uh, if they don't find a buyer for the contract, they will usually use a loophole to get out of the, uh, the contract and end up not purchasing the property. And when you do this over and over again, you are clearly selling real estate, and you're not licensed, and you're not trained, and you are not taking into account the interest of the public in making sure that the seller gets a fair price for their property. So that's basically what wholesaling is. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Angie. Thank you, Amy.
0: Paul? I'll close it out. I uh, wanted to say thank you again to Amy and Angie for joining us uh, via Zoom. It's one thing that we've definitely wanted to uh, kind of help us do business better. So we appreciate everybody dialing in. Uh, want to say thanks uh, to Mike and President-elect. Thanks for being here, sharing your expertise. And for Richard and Steve, I'm Paul Derrick, Communications Director of KYR, saying we'll see you next time on KYR Podcast Live.